Coming up, it's all about the Rangers. It's do or die time. They win game five at home, force the series back to Pittsburgh for game six. Let's see if they can keep it going there. I also talked some of the Yankee stuff and Jet stuff that I missed out on and a little bit of NBA playoffs. All that and more coming up next. All right, welcome back. If you've been paying attention to what's been going on on this podcast now for a little over a year and what's been going on the last few weeks on my social media feeds, you know what this episode is going to be all about. And if you heard the introduction or read the title of the podcast, you should have a pretty good idea of what's going on every episode. Um, in this episode, obviously, it's going to be Rangers because last night was crazy again. This whole series has been nuts. This playoff run has been nuts. Um, I'm not a front runner Rangers fan. I'm not a bandwagon fan, although we'll get to those guys in a second. I'm ride or die. I've been here all year. This team, like I said, has been the most fun team I've seen in a long time. They fight, they battle for each other, they keep coming back. And last night was no different. So let's get right into it. Let's start with the beginning of the series because that's where it starts. It starts with game one. I was in the building for you could look back at it now. I'm not quite ready to look back at it yet, but I know maybe in a couple of years and a couple of months, I'll be able to look back and say I was in the building for one of the most legendary playoff games. It goes to three overtimes. I was at Madison Square Garden for about six hours. If you would have told me at one point that being at Madison Square Garden for six hours was anything but a dream, I would tell you you're wrong. It was a nightmare. Uh, just sitting there by the end of it, nobody wanted to be there anymore. Uh, the energy in the building got so low at some point. It felt like it should have been over. With the Heedle goal that got called back, um, it just felt like at that point the game should have ended. And it didn't end. It kept going. Finally, it goes to double overtime. And in between the second and third overtime, I was uh, coming out of the restroom at Madison Square Garden. And I look around I'm like, guys, we still having a good time? Just yelled it. And every I got zero reaction. Just thousands of people standing there giving me a blank stare. Nobody was having fun at that point anymore. We felt like the game should have been over, felt like the Rangers should have won, and it just felt like the inevitable was going to happen and somehow the Penguins were going to score. In that game, the first 20 minutes of that game, that was probably the best the Rangers played all series, the first 23 minutes. And then when you're just giving the other team penalties, you're giving the other team power plays, it breaks up your momentum and it shifts it to the other side. So the Rangers totally lost it, but I'm not going to blame the refs. I'm not going to blame the called back goal because the Rangers had every opportunity to win that game uh, throughout the game, game one. And the, the energy at the beginning of the game or even throughout, throughout the game at certain points was crazy. The, the building was nuts. The building was psyched. It was the first playoff game in five years at home. And everyone was excited to be there. Everyone wanted to go nuts. Everyone was ready for the Rangers. But the energy was totally sucked out of the building when uh, that goal gets called back. And then it goes to overtime. And then another one and another one. And the clock's ticking and it's close to midnight. And it's just late and it felt like, oh my God, are we ever going to score Louis Domingue's back there? And the Rangers are not even putting shots on him. They were like, oh, the backup goalie's in there. Let's just try and get shots. But they weren't trying to get to the middle of the ice. They weren't trying to get to the danger zones on the ice, which is a big problem. That's been a problem throughout the entire series, which obviously we'll talk about at some point. Then you go to game two. Game two was, I guess, the most well-rounded game they played. But at the same time, I didn't think they played that great. I thought the Panarin line with Cop uh, and Strom played really well on the four check. Even in that game, there were some scary moments and Igor kind of kept them in at the first few minutes of the third period. And then ultimately the Rangers pull away and score a couple goals, make it five, two. So that was kind of the least stressful game, I guess you would say, because they win at home five, two. And it's like, all right, now all we need to do is go split one in Pittsburgh. And then Pittsburgh happened. You go to Pittsburgh. Game three was one of the craziest game that took years off my life. I sat here watching game three. They go down four, one, but 
if you've been watching this team all year, you know that they weren't out of it yet, but they go down 4-1 and you're watching it and it just feels they're dead. Igor gets pulled. This, this game is over, right? But no, they come back. They tie the game at four. After Igor gets pulled, you have Georgiev back there. And Georgiev starts making saves. The team looks like they're ready. And then they just ran out of gas, I think. I think they come all the way back. They fight back. They get pretty close. They actually have a really good start to the third period. But the second Igor gives up that soft goal, which ultimately was the game-winning goal that made it 5-4 Pittsburgh, from that point on, there was no chance that the Rangers were going to win that game. They It felt like they had put all their energy out there. Even they couldn't pull the goalie because it was like they couldn't get the puck in the offensive zone. And then game four was just the worst. Game four... Looked even the, the fact that it was 1-1 after one period is just a testament to Igor Shesterkin and how incredible he really truly is as a goalie and as the Rangers goaltender. And I'm not being a homer. I'm not being a guy who just loves Igor blindly. Yeah, I know he hasn't played to his capabilities in the series. I think the Penguins fans going, Igor, Igor. And if I was a Penguins fan, I would love it, by the way. And even as a Ranger fan, I do appreciate what they were doing. It's kind of awesome. I guess they have nothing else going on in that city. They just absolutely love their Penguins. But him getting rattled, it it didn't seem right. Everyone thought that he's going to come back in Game 4 and totally shut them down and be awesome in Game 4 on the road. And he was even worse in Game 4 than he was in Game 3. And he gets pulled after two periods. The fact that it was 1-1, I, like I said, after one period is crazy because the how badly the Rangers played. They just completely, completely outplayed the entire game. They totally sucked. They were totally disinterested. They didn't hit anyone. They had zero pressure in the offensive zone. They weren't getting to the dirty spots on the ice. And freaking Gensel and Crosby, those guys are just absolutely running around. Latang and the Rangers couldn't stop them. They couldn't stop anyone and it didn't matter who was back there. You could put Henrik Lundqvist in his prime back there. He wasn't stopping those shots. The Rangers had no chance in Game 4 the way they played. So you come to Game 5, and the initial reaction to Game 4 was disappointment. Everyone was upset. I was pissed off. Um, and by the way, I mentioned the bandwagon fans. Rangers fans have bandwagon fans when they get to the playoffs like no other. There are t-shirts that Barstool Sports makes that say wagon on them. That It looks like a Rangers t-shirt, but it says wagon instead of Rangers because of how many people jump on the Rangers bandwagon when they get into the playoffs. And it's fun. I love it. I love that the whole city rallies behind the Rangers. But I don't need bandwagon Ranger fans who showed up a week ago to start telling me how bad my team is. How bad the team I've watched all year. They have no heart. They have no soul. Your goalie is the worst. How is he a Vesna Trophy finalist? How is he going to win the MVP? Blah, blah, blah. I don't need to hear that from these guys who are fake Rangers fans. We appreciate your support. We appreciate the, the vibe in the city that it brings when these guys come on. But we don't need people telling us what our team is and isn't because we've been watching this team all season long and we know exactly what this team is. And what this team does is they fight and they keep fighting back. So... Even though they were down 3-1, there was this weird confidence after the initial disappointment and the feeling of being dead inside because of how dead the team looked on the ice. There's just this there was just confidence that the fans had going into game 5 because it felt like hey, this team's battled back all year. Why not do it again? And I think part of it is also because we've seen this team do it time and time again. We saw them do it against Pittsburgh. We saw them do it in 2015 again against the Capitals. Come back from down 3-1. Hockey's like no other sport. It can flip in a second. You could be down and out of a series, and all of a sudden, you win three straight games, and it's over. You take it one shift at a time, one period at a time. The momentum can shift, and who knows? Who knows what can happen? So there was a weird confidence amongst Rangers fans, at least seemingly on Rangers Twitter, that they are not out of this series yet. We've seen this team win three games straight consecutively on 
multiple times this year. We've seen it on 11 separate occasions that the Rangers have been able to win three consecutive games this year. It's not something that they can't do. And I still believe that the Rangers are a better team than the Pittsburgh Penguins. And in this series, the Rangers had not yet peaked, while the Penguins have peaked. The Penguins, this is as good as they're going to get. This is as good as they're going to play with a third-string goalie back there and the way Domingue's played. I know the Rangers, like I said, haven't gotten some great chances, but even when they have gotten great chances on him, he made some huge saves. He made some huge saves on the two power plays at the beginning of the third period in game three when the Rangers come back and tie it at four and then they get a couple power plays and they don't score that's when they still had energy and after that it was like well they 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 lost all their energy so Domingue really has been exceptional in this series but this is not the guy he is Cosby is showing you how meaningful he is to a team and we'll get to what happened after he was no longer with the team soon but like I said this team has peaked in the series this team has outplayed themselves has outperformed what you'd expect them to do whereas the rangers half their team hasn't shown up yet and you could talk about the stars as part of the team that hasn't showed up they haven't showed up at all the top line if you talk, talk about zabanajad Kreider, vitrano i know they've had a couple of goals between those three guys but still they haven't been what they need to be in order for this team to be successful and you could talk about yes they're spending a lot of time trying to defend the crosby line they're so worried they can't be aggressive because they're so worried about getting back on defense because of how good the crosby line has been but at the same time, you're expected to contribute offense to the team. And so, yes, you have to defend. You have to play the full ice. That's part of hockey. You have to play both sides. You have to play the neutral zone. You have to play the offensive zone and the D zone. And so you're still expected to contribute, even though you're going out there against the top line and expecting to defend them. Patrick Nemeth, I mean, part of it's on Patrick Nemeth for just being awful, but part of it's on Gerard Gallant. Gerard Gallant, how do you keep putting Nemeth back out there again and again and again when every single person can see that he just isn't capable? He just takes the dumbest penalties when they go up one nothing in game four and you still thought maybe they have a chance in this game before you realize how terrible they were going to play just a stupid high stick what's he doing he's not even near the puck Patrick Nemeth was just awful and I love that Gallant dressed him for game five but didn't play him at all he actually played him 12 seconds at the end of the game uh after the Rangers got the empty net goal Nemeth went out there I guess give the rest of the guys a break someone mentioned to me he was probably only out there because just in case uh Lindgren was hurt which he did get hurt at some point he went back to the locker room and came back in we'll talk about Ryan Lindgren in a minute but Nemeth, I thought dressing him was kind of funny. It's like uh, we saw this in the NBA last night where uh, Memphis put out a guy who never plays just to foul Steph Curry intentionally because they didn't want to lose a foul for one of their main guys. So they just put out a guy. So I was like, well, if you need Patrick Nemeth to take a penalty intentionally, you won't even have to tell him to take it. He'll just go out on the ice. And the second he goes out on the ice, he's going to take a penalty. We know that already. So he's been awful. And Igor, yeah, you, you can look at Igor and say he's not been himself. But at the same time, we know the stars haven't showed up. We know Nemeth was awful. We know Igor hasn't even been himself. We know Gallant's adjustments or lack thereof haven't been great. So we know that this team has not yet peaked in this series. And yet still, it's a series. It's 3-2 now after last night. So like I said, can they win three straight? Yeah, if they get back to their game, if they go to do what they are capable of doing and the Penguins kind of revert back to who they are, then the Rangers are the better team still. So of course I believe that they could win three straight. I texted someone before the game. I was like, look, there's a strange confidence right now, but really all we need, go home, win a game at home. Just win one game at home. We've done it all year. Win a game at home. Have Igor steal a game six for us in Pittsburgh and game seven on home ice. Anything can happen. That's where we are right now. And the first part is complete. They go home down 3-1. Baba comes back. They play Baba O'Reilly before the team comes out. I've seen so many videos right now. Um, AJ Castiglia posted on Twitter. Anyone who has a video, send me all your angles. Post all the videos. And he's been posting one after another all the videos of all the different angles of that of the Rangers coming out last night. And it's just such a party. The place sounded louder than games one and two. And I wasn't there for last night, but it sounded way louder than games one and two. It sounded like the place was going crazy. 
And that song before the Rangers come out on the ice, that changed the entire vibe for the crowd. But then they go down to nothing and they look dead. And I'm, I was losing it. I was texting my friends. All right, this team is dead. They just decided not to show up and they just rolled over. And I'm thinking, what are we doing in the offseason? Who's getting traded? What's happening? Are we firing Gallant? What do, how do we look at the kid line now? Blah, blah, blah. All the different things that you'd think about after a, just an absolute collapse in the playoffs, after a totally disappointing showing by a Rangers team that is much better than this. And then they come back. They start the comeback. It really starts with the Truba hit on Crosby. I mean, you can't say that it doesn't. Truba knocks out Crosby, and it wasn't intentional, and it wasn't a dirty hit. He kind of got tied up with Crosby because Crosby had his stick caught between his legs, and that's what made Truba's elbow go up into Crosby's face. But the second Crosby goes out, the Penguins look like a completely different team, and the Rangers look like a different team. All of a sudden, the Rangers are aggressive, and they're not scared about having to get back and wide-open people being behind them like we saw all game. Like that second goal where there's just three guys running to the net wide open against Igor, what's he supposed to do on those goals? So the Rangers all of a sudden are able to be more aggressive in the offensive zone, more aggressive in the neutral zone, and they started playing with a confidence because they weren't scared of anyone out there anymore because Crosby was gone. That just shows you just how incredible Crosby is for this team. And then Ryan Lindgren showed up. Ryan Lindgren, what he did, and I texted a friend, maybe it was middle of the second period. I was like, Ryan Lindgren's the only guy who showed up. He's been incredible. What he's been doing, and now we find out today, uh, Gerard Gallant just said in his press conference that Ryan Lindgren was knocking on his door, begging him when they were down 3-1. He's like, I need to be back. This is a guy who got hurt got injured in, what was it, game one or game two. We haven't seen him since. And he's knocking on the door saying, I need to be back in this series. I know what I mean to this team. And he was out there like he cared. He was hitting everything in sight. He was flying around the ice. He was bringing the puck through the neutral zone himself and getting it into the offensive zone. He was stepping in on the forecheck and hitting people and making sure the Rangers got offensive possession. And guess what? The whole team followed. He was the heart and soul of the team. Even in the middle of the game, at some point, he had to go back to the locker room because he was hurt. But it all started with him, I thought. I thought his play kind of led the team. And you get the Adam Fox goal. And once Fox scores, it starts to get going. The Capo pass from below the goal line back to Lafreniere to tie the game. Lafreniere's reaction. And then Truba, a guy who has been kind of on and off in this series, hasn't played great, has, some, has had some good plays. He gets the go-ahead goal. And then 12 seconds later, Igor makes just an awful play. I don't know what he's doing there. Obviously... It's in his head a little bit because he, and we've never seen him indecisive like this, but he doesn't know. He tries to play the, the puck up the boards and he gets indecisive, just throws it kind of to the middle of the ice. And then two seconds later, it's in the back of the net. So not a great play, but the Rangers don't fold. At that point, they keep going hard. They keep going at Domingue. They st- keep putting shots on him. And then with 17 rem- minutes remaining in the game, just that turnaround shot where you're not expecting a shot to come from that angle on a broken play. Heedle just flips it on net. And I have not been a Heedle guy. Anyone who knows me knows I don't love Filipino. He's not my guy. I don't love Filipino. But that goal that he scored, just that's what you need to do against a third-string goalie. You just need to throw it on net and in the dirty areas and hope something happens. And it did. He They take the lead. And then with 17 minutes left, that's when Igor, I think, looked as good as he's looked at any point in the series. He turns it on. He starts playing his heart out. And this team, not only that, there was a shift. I think it was with... Uh, about two minutes and 40 seconds left in the game. There was a 40 second shift that the kid line had. And we're going to talk about the kids. They went hard. They kept the puck in the zone. They were so aggressive up by one. If this was the 2015 team, we would have seen them peel off already and just start playing defense. But no, they go so hard at the net and those 40 seconds, the crowd was going absolutely berserk. That shows you what this kid team, this kid line has shown all series. Lafreniere, Kako, and Heedle. They're ages 20, 21, and 22, and they are carrying the Rangers in this series right now. By the way, and don't forget about Keandre Miller, Braden Schneider, Adam Fox, and Ryan Lindgren. Those are kids. Those are 
seven guys or so that are literally children in this series that are carrying the team right now. And they've been the best in this series. And what that kid line has done, they need to be on the ice more. They, they're on the ice for the power play goal, that power play goal by Heedle. And I saw that Gallant actually made that adjustment where he's taking his top power play unit off a little bit sooner, maybe with like 50 seconds instead of waiting till the 30 second mark, because he knows that this second line has just been so good. And the top players, yeah, they're passing it a little bit too much. Although I thought the Panarin line was much better in game five at getting on the four track and being more aggressive and trying to get to the dirty spots and shooting more. I thought they were much better at that. But still, that top power play unit is trying to pass, trying to be perfect, trying to be all pretty. And that second line is just going hard, hitting everything in sight, getting in on the four check, getting to the dirty areas on the ice, getting right in front of Deming and just throwing shots on him over and over and over again. And that's what's been working. And just shout out to those kids because... If you look at this series from a whole, you're like, well, look, this is why you talk about experience in the playoffs. Look at the Penguins. They have the experience in the playoffs, and that's what's beating the Rangers. But at the same time, the only Rangers who showed up were the guys who have zero playoff experience. If you look at the Rangers team themselves, the guys who have been there before, Kreider, Zabanajed, those guys have been practically invisible. And then the kids, Lafreniere, Hedl, and Capo, who, by the way, they didn't get a lot of minutes together as a line. Going into the series, we weren't even sure if that was going to be a line. We were thinking, oh, he better put out the kid line. He better put out the kid line. And I was thinking before the series, well, what if they don't play well? Um, is he, How long is the leash going to be on them before he starts breaking them up? And there was never that question because they've been the best line in this series, aside from the Crosby line. Of any team, the best line in the series has been the Rangers' kid line. It's been insane to watch these kids mature. And yes, if they lose this series, it would be disappointing. But I'm so glad they won that game because they showed you how much grit, how much fire this team has. I thought I started to get Knicks vibes uh, before game five, where I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what the Knicks did last year. They were the most fun team during the regular season. They play together. They play with heart. They play with soul. They lose a heartbreaker in game one. They win game two. They go on the road. They get absolutely killed and they come home for game five and they just totally don't show up. That's what I was thinking when they were down 2 nothing last night. It felt like last year's Knicks. But then they showed you and it was really the kid line. And this is why you talk about playoff experience being important because the fact that that line was able to fire back and have the grit to push forward and continue to play and to force a game six in Pittsburgh. That was really what they did. That's playoff experience that people talk about. What that line was able to do was unbelievable. And they've carried the team and the rest of the team has to follow. That's that's what, what it comes down to. Your stars, Chris Kreider, 50 goal Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, who's your top line center. And one of the offseason stories I was thinking about was how do you bring him back as your top line center? You got to make him the second line center. He's maybe a 1A, but he's not a top line center. If he can't both defend and worry about his offense and try and get there and he looks lost out there, you got to trade for a center, right? But no, he's got to show up. He still has a chance. There's a game six. And like I said, this is this is the process that it's been. It's win game five out of home ice, go to game six, have your guy who, if you really want to prove that you're the Vesna favorite and you're an MVP finalist, Igor Shesterkin, you have to go steal a game. And you're going to be heckled. They're going to be going Igor, although I think they're going to be going Truba, they're going to be booing Truba. Every time he touches the puck, they're going to be booing Truba because of his hit on Crosby, and especially if Crosby doesn't play in Game 6. And by the way, I'm not going to be a fan who sits here and says, oh, we need to beat them with Sidney Crosby. I don't care if Crosby's in the game. If he's out of the game, great. Maybe come back for Game 7. But if he's out of the game, the Rangers were obviously a very different team once Sidney Crosby was out of the game. So I don't mind if he's not in the game. I don't mind if he's not playing. But if he's out of the game, Truba's going to be the one who has to keep his composure because they're going to be booing him. The entire Penguins offense is going to be going after him. They're going to be trying to hit him the entire time. Malkin, by the way, he's a hothead. Maybe he starts going after Truba and he gets in penalty trouble. That could be another path to victory. Another path to victory that I talked about was Pittsburgh shouldn't bring back Jari. Now, 
I don't know if this luck is going to run out with Louis Domingue, but Tristan Jari throwing him in, coming off an injury, throwing him into this series, which is now chippy and fiery, and you're going to throw him in on home ice, even though it's at home, game six in the middle of a series, I wouldn't bring him back if I were the Penguins, even if he's ready to come back, especially not for game six and definitely not for game seven. So I think Louis Domingue will close out this series one way or another. But the Rangers have to find a way to stay composed and to play their game, the game that they played for the second half of last night's game, really the last 25 minutes and the first 25 minutes of game one, and bring that game to Pittsburgh with them, bring it on the road. I'm not expecting them to be perfect on the road, but I want that kid line to show up, but I need the top two lines to show up. If Tyler Mott is ready, that will be huge. You put him on the bottom line with Kevin Rooney, who was awesome in game five as well. Kevin Rooney was great along with uh, Ryan Reeves and they were rotating the third winger on that line. If you have Rooney and Reeves and Mott back on that line, that's a really good fourth line. You want to see Braun again with Schneider, who's been incredible. So we don't have to see Patrick Nemeth anymore. So you put Braun back with Schneider. You have the top line. You have Lindgren back out there. And Igor's just got to be the guy that we think he can be. And we know he's still capable of being. Yes, was a lot of this in his head? I think so. I thought the third period was as good as he played, though, in any period in this entire series. I I said that in the overtime games in game one, obviously, he was incredible. He made, what, 79 saves in the first game, which is insane. And maybe he was tired. And maybe after that game, maybe... Who knows what happened? Obviously, I think it was mental because the crowd was getting to him and the mistakes that we're not used to seeing him making was because of a little bit of an indecisiveness, overthinking a little bit. But he's just got to get it back out there. And... That's the thing. Just bring it home for Game 7. If you give me a Game 7 at home, no matter what happens, I'll be fine because I know that this team fought back and I know that this this team put out an effort, but we need to steal a game in Pittsburgh and it's going to be on the superstars and it's going to be on Igor Shesterkin, the guy who was nominated as one of the three nominees in the NHL for the MVP today. Just crazy how that works. I thought I saw people going, oh, this is the guy who's nominated for a Vesna after those two games. First of all, it's a regular season award, so shut up. But second of all, yes, this guy is that good. He really is capable of being that good and he needs to prove it on a national stage tomorrow night on in game six. Shut everyone up. And this team doesn't quit. This is what they do. This is what they've done all year. They've battled back. That's why it's kind of funny that their slogan, their mantra has been no quit in New York. This team exemplifies that. It's really started with the kid line in this series, but this team does not quit. They refuse to quit. And like Boomer always says, I know Boomer is out with COVID, so he hasn't been at the games. He hasn't been on the radio, but I'll say it for him. One shift, one period, one game. You take it one at a time and you could come back in this series. So They did it in Game 5. They won. They took care of business at home. I think Igor is going to need to steal them a game in Game 6 in order for them to move on. Game 7, bring it back home. One shift, one period, one game. Just take it one shift at a time. Make the right plays. Make the smart plays. Yes, mistakes are going to happen. They're going to take a penalty. Things are going to happen. It's, It's crazy. But don't let it get to you. They have to just stay composed and stay together, play together the way Chris Kreider talked about that we haven't played together. He talked about that after Game 3 or 4, both of them. They got to come together, play together like a team. Igor's got to be back there as the guy that we know he's capable of being. Maybe he should have a conversation with Henrik Lundqvist before game six on how to play in the playoffs and how to be the man. But I think if they do that, they will be ready and they can actually win this series or at least force a game seven on home ice and then anything can happen. All right, a couple of other topics I wanted to hit on on the podcast before um, I leave because obviously it's it's all about the Rangers. It really is. But I did want to talk about a few other things because I have some time here and I haven't talked in a while. So the last time I was on here was before I went to the Yankee game. They were 5-5. Five and five. Garrett Cole, my video goes viral, 300,000 views on Twitter of me booing Garrett Cole off the mound. Since then, he's been insane. So 
the viral video, I take the credit for Garrett Cole being awesome because that video goes absolutely viral. And then uh, the Yankees have completely turned it around. I did mention earlier, though, that I hate Aaron Hicks and I, I'm not buying his fast start, quote unquote. And I was right. Aaron Hicks is the worst. He's been awful the way he doesn't hustle to a ball. But I don't want to talk about the negatives because I said even at the time, I said I still had a positive, weird feeling about this Yankee team. This Yankee team that I had a positive, weird feeling about is 17 and three in their last 20 games. Absolutely insane. Obviously, they can't keep it up. But if you look at those three losses, even it was the one game in Detroit where it was kind of they put the punt lineup out in a Thursday day game. Uh, we've seen that before. They kind of just punted that game, even though they intentionally walked Miguel Cabrera in that game. So they obviously weren't punting. But we've seen that before. But they come back. And the other loss was one game, also the last game of a series after winning the first two, a tough game in Toronto. And then they split a doubleheader uh, this past weekend, which obviously it's hard to win doubleheaders, um, especially when you haven't played in three days prior to that. It's really hard to win doubleheaders. But they come back. They sweep Toronto in that two-game series. They've been awesome. 17 and 3 in their last 20 and it's been the rotation that's carried them and you look at Garrett Cole now I picked him to win the Cy Young award and everyone was like oh after that slow start you still like him as your Cy Young award winner well now he's 2 and 0 with a 2.67 ERA so yeah I'd still like him as my Cy Young award his fastball looked as good as it's looked ever um or really at, at least since Houston last year his slider looks as good as it's looked as a New York Yankee I don't care if he's found a new substance and that's what's keeping him going. I really don't care because I want him to pitch well. And if he needs to use a substance to pitch well, use a substance. At least he cares enough that he's willing to cheat and willing to get caught in order to pitch well. Good for him. Aaron Judge is about to earn himself $300 million. The only reason he might not get the $300 million is because Mike Trout has been out of his mind and he's going to win MVP. But Aaron Judge could be the league MVP. He leads the league in home runs. He's been clutch. I don't remember a more clutch hit from Aaron Judge or at least a more clutch home run than the one he hit against Toronto. You're down to bottom of the ninth, two strikes, and he hits a three-run home run to win. Like... It just looks weird because he's huge. I don't know why it looked so weird to see a guy like him hit that home run. Um, it just didn't look normal. Something about him. He doesn't look right on a baseball field, but it just reminds you of what an incredible athlete he is. But like I said, it's been the pitching, the, the clutch hitting. Glaber Torres seems to be back. And I think Glaber Torres might be the most clutch player on the Yankees. And I think he has the most walk-off hit since 2018 uh, in the entire league. So that's since he came into the league, he has the most walk-off hits of anyone in baseball. And that's how clutch he's been. It seems like every time he's up in a pinch hit spot or just an interesting spot, he comes through for this team. He's been a huge part of this team's success. DJ LeMayo is back to being the machine that he is. And this team is clicking on all cylinders. The bullpen is awesome. I thought Aaron Boone has managed the bullpen well. He hasn't give, given anyone too long of a leash. He's kind of managing with desperation, which we haven't seen last year, especially early on in the season. We didn't see it. We saw it late when they had to make a push to try and make the playoffs. But now it seems like they get the clutch hits. They have the little attitude to them. They kind of have the FU that Aaron Hicks talked about, ironically, because he's the guy who has it the least running lazily to a, a, a line drive down the left field line and throwing it in lazily that ended up allowing a run to score for Toronto in that inning that gave them the lead before Aaron Judge hits the three on home run. And then Chapman, that's a game he definitely blows last year, but he gets the save just barely yesterday. Just huge how the Yankees have played. And I think it's really a testament to this team. Look, the balls are flying out. I talked about this. The balls are flying out and it's starting to get warm. And that's why the balls are flying. I don't think in October, the balls are going to be flying the same way. But if the strength of this team is pitching, the Yankees could pitch with anyone. They're the best pitching staff in baseball right now. If you look one through 13, this is the best pitching staff in baseball right now. And so I'm not worried about the Yankees. I think they're going to be good. And I think the clutch hitting has mattered. The clutch hitting has made a difference. Giancarlo Stanton has been clutch. 
all the guys that we expect to be clutch and come through for this team have come through for this team. So I'm really excited about what the Yankees are doing right now. It should be a really fun summer. I have an interesting um, take on the Grizzlies Warriors series. Now, obviously, Ja goes out and the, the Grizzlies blow out the Warriors in game five. So now it's 3-2 going back to Golden State. And it's kind of funny if you think about it. As a Rangers fan, I'm thinking, oh, 3-2 going back to Pittsburgh. We got this. And I still think Golden State is going to blow out the Grizzlies. But it's a different sport. But just to think about two different franchises and the contrast that you think about between them and my New York Knicks, because that's how I look at everything. I look at everything from a Knicks perspective, right? Um, the Golden State Warriors... In their first championship year, the year they won, what was it, 2014 or 15, and Iguodala was the MVP and all that, they played the Grizzlies in the second round of the playoffs that year. And that Grizzlies team was the Marcus Gasol, Zebo, Mike Conley, that team, the team that was tough, gritty, played defense, that tough Memphis team. And now this same Warriors core, what was it, seven years later, eight years later, is playing the Grizzlies again. And while the Warriors are the same core, they've been able to sustain success, although there's different surrounding pieces, but it's the same Draymond, Clay, Steph, those same three guys. Obviously, KD came and gone. Iguodala came, left, came back. They don't have Harrison Barnes, all that stuff. I get that, but they've been able to sustain success with a core of three guys. And the fact that in that amount of time, the Grizzlies went through an entire rebuild and now came back as the number two seed just shows you how two NBA franchises are run in a competent way, in a competent manner. And it's a totally different Grizzlies team than they faced eight years ago. And I think it's really cool that they're facing them again. Um, I do think the Warriors will win. The best series, I think, this is the NBA championship, has been Milwaukee and Boston. Um, I love Boston. I, I love both of those teams, really. I want both of those teams to stay in as long as possible. It sucks. I, as a Knicks fan, I don't want to be that guy who's like a you know the Orioles fan who hates the Yankees when the Orioles are irrelevant to the Yankees. I love the Celtics because they're a team that doesn't really have the true superstar, although Jason Tatum's playing like one. They're a team. They play hard defense. They play together. They play tough. They play physical. We haven't seen a team like that really compete for a championship. I guess the only thing you can compare it to is last year's Bucks. But last year's Bucks have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who right now is the best players in best player in the league. Period. He is the best player in the league right now, and that's what he's proven. We don't have James Harden showing up for one game and running around like a little bit fake superstar or any of the other players that these teams have. I love both of those teams. I think the winner of that series will win the NBA championship between the Bucks and the Celtics. I wish it, that was the championship. I wish we could see these teams for longer. It's a shame it's happening in the second round. But those two teams battling it out. I still don't think the Celtics are out. The Celtics team, like I said, just like the Rangers, they've battled back all year. I still think they could beat them. But having to beat Giannis onto the Kupo two games in a row is going to be really tough, even without Middleton. So we'll see what happens. I won't be upset if either of those teams uh, loses, but it has been a really fun series. For Chris Paul, it's put up or shut up time, right? Like It's about time. You just have to win a championship. You have no other choice anymore. And so all the pressure is on them. If you think about who the pressure is on the least, it's on the Bucks the least. They just won last year. The Celtics, maybe a little bit more. The Warriors, no one really expects it. But the pressure is on Phoenix right now. And we've seen it in a couple of series where they could have put the series away early and they've let the other team linger in the series. So while I do think Phoenix is one of the best teams in the league and has been the best team in the league all season long, I still think it's kind of tough for Phoenix right now. All the pressure is on them. All the pressure is on Chris Paul to win a championship. And I don't blame people who are putting the pressure on him. As far as the other, I mentioned James Harden. Everyone knows I'm a James Harden stan. I absolutely love James Harden. And I hate what he did. I hate that he switched two teams. But when he was going off the other night in, what was it, game four, and he looked like old James Harden a little bit, 
I was I just enjoyed it. I enjoy watching him play. I enjoy when he gets it going, and I wish we could see it more. But it's safe to say he's not that guy anymore. He hasn't been that guy in a really long time, and it kind of sucks. But this is the guy who we have now. It's a different player. It's a different James Harden. It's a different guy than what we've seen in the past. And I don't see a way that he can sustain it now for two games, back-to-back games. Harden and Embiid have to win in order to win this series. I don't see it happening. Um, I wish I could say that I do see it happening, but I I can't really see them winning. And it's going to be another season. It looks like Doc Rivers can get fired, and that's going to start that whole carousel. I hope he goes to the Lakers because nothing would be more fun than that drama scene. I don't know. Do you give James Harden the max now? Like, I don't think so. Who's going to pick him up? Like, do you trade him? What do you do with James Harden now? I'm not sure. It's really a shame that it's a waste of such an incredible season um, that uh, Joel Embiid had. As far as the Jets, because I want to talk about the draft. These are all the things that happened since I was gone. The schedule is coming out today, so uh, I'll have that a little bit later, I guess. But Jets, they killed it in the draft. Yes, you have to win football games, but they basically went out there and said, we don't care. We are going to put whatever we can and as much as we can around our second-year quarterback, Zach Wilson. And if he's not good, if he doesn't come through, it's on no one but Zach Wilson. That's the only person it could be on now. There's no one else to blame. There's no one else to look at. They go out in the first round. They get Sauce Gardner. They get the corner, the number one corner of the draft. They come back and they get the receiver, Wilson. Wilson to Wilson is going to be fun all year. And then they trade back in. This is something that I talked about before. When a guy starts falling in the draft, he tends to fall more because when the teams who you thought were going to take him don't take him, then some of the other teams are like, wait, no, we had other guys on our board because we thought he's going to be gone already. So Jermaine Johnson being a number 26 overall pick... He's really a much higher pick than that. He could have been picked much higher. The Jets said they had him at number eight on their board. I don't know if I believe everything they say, but he was definitely a top three pass rusher or top four pass rusher in this pa- in this draft. So if you think about it, they have a guy who some people have on their board as the number one corner. They have a guy who some people thought on their board as the number one wide receiver. They have a guy who some people had on their board as a top three pass rusher in Jermaine Johnson. And then they get Brees Hall, who's the number one running back on most boards. And he was the first running back to come off the board at the beginning of the second round. What Joe Douglas did was basically said, it's put up or shut up time. If you're Zach Wilson, this is your chance. If you go out there, you have all the talents in the world. We know that. But if you can be an NFL quarterback, this year is going to prove whether you can or can't. And he needs to stay healthy. He's gotten thicker. And I've seen that in the videos. But it was funny how um, I think Robert Sala said he looks beefy which is a kind of a great quote. But yeah, he does look thicker. He looks big. He's bulked up. He doesn't want to get hurt. He but he needs to stay nimble. He needs to stay healthy. And he needs to be smart. And he needs to play smart football. I think a second year of continuity with the offensive coordinator and with everyone together, the quarterback's coach, that's going to be key for Zach Wilson. Um, but now he has all the pieces around him. This offense looks like they're ready for success. And I'm expecting... I said last year the Jets should double their win total. It depends what happens with the schedule. They went from two to four wins. They did double their win total last year. They should do it again this year. They should be able to go from four to eight wins. Doubling your win total is a lot. I get it. But that's the expectation this year. And depending on the schedule, because if they get off to a slow start, I think the season will go poorly. If they get off to a hot start, I think the season will go out. They need to find a way to keep themselves in games. And Zach Wilson can't be losing them games. Maybe he won't be able to bail them out of games and win games for them, but he can't be losing them games. He has to keep them in every game and they have to win at least eight games, I think, in order for him to prove that he's the guy and he should be sticking around long term for this team. So that's all I have on the draft. I get it. It's a lot of hype. It's a lot of uh, excitement. But at the same time, I remember the last time I was this excited about a draft was when they got D. Milner and Sheldon Richardson and... I think it was Geno Smith was in that draft. I was like, oh my God, look, Geno fell to the second round. D. Miller is going to be the next Darrell Rivas. Sheldon Richardson's our defensive lineman, blah, blah, blah. Everyone felt like this is amazing. And then we know how that turned out. Sheldon Richardson was a good player, but ultimately wasn't here long term. D. Miller was a bust and Geno Smith, we don't need to talk about anymore. So 
the point is, it's just the draft. Get on the field, start winning football games, prove it on the field. That's what you have to do. But on paper right now, the Jets have shown you that they have full confidence in this quarterback and it's time for him to step up and make something happen. And it's time for him to do it now because we know they could have gone for Jamison Williams at that spot in the draft, but that's a guy who's going to be missing a significant time at the beginning of the season. And right now we can't afford that. It's like, yes, Garrett Wilson was still a top prospect in the draft. A lot of people had him number one on the receiver board anyway. So if there wasn't another guy, if there was a big drop off from Jamison Williams to everyone else, then maybe you go Jamison Williams, even though he's going to be hurt at the beginning of the year. But because there was a guy who's going to be there in Garrett Wilson, who can be really good for this team, you want it to start right now. You want it to click right now. And after watching the video that Garrett Wilson's father sent to him, and if you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it. I'll put a link in the description. The video that he sent to him on draft night I know Garrett Wilson, if he busts, it's simply going to be because of an injury or talent or something else, but he has the intangibles. Good character, guys, is everything that the Jets wanted to draft. That's who they've drafted. Jury's still out on Mackay Becton, but the offensive line looks good. They bring in another offensive lineman in the offseason through free agency. I think this team, it's time. They have to be really good, and they have to be good now, and that's what the general manager is telling you by this draft. All right, so that's all on the Jets. That's all on the Yankees. I'll wrap it up. Like I said... Rangers, one shift, one period, one game, and you can win this. That's it. Just one shift at a time. Just stay focused, stay disciplined, keep playing hard, keep playing the way they played the last 25 minutes last night, keep playing the way they played the first 25 minutes of game one. Kid line, keep carrying them. Time for the veterans to show up. Time for guys like Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, Frank Vitrano, Andrew Cobb. Those guys need to finally show up. And Igor, prove your worth. Show everyone on a national stage that... You are the guy that should be the Vesna winner, and you are the guy who is an MVP finalist. Be that guy. One game, game six, one shift, one period, one game. Let's go, Rangers. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway cars and your old graffiti. I breathe your air when I land in another city. I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. Yeah, you're all I know. Everywhere I go. Flying on the highline With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go oh, 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 I ain't changed it Oh, oh, oh Always on my
I was dissing. I used to hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect. Take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck. Dipping from the New York City's finest, yeah. Said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side that I'm riding.